coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Yeah, I mean, moving forward career-wise, I need to be out before the summertime, before July or August. I need to keep on top of it. I really need to build on momentum that I've made over the last 24 months. A good run of form, obviously, circumstances beyond our control, the result of the Smith fight, but just kick on and, and, and get what's mine, get what I deserve and get that world title around my waist. That was, of course, our guest for today. He will not be denied. Pro boxer John Ryder. You can hear more from John very soon. But first, we wanted to say a big thanks to the sponsor of this episode, the Everyday Athlete Training System. It gives you access to the methods that are used to coach world champions across multiple sports. It was built by the head of performance of Matchroom Boxing, Dan Lawrence, so this is a huge resource and definitely one worth checking out. It officially launches on the 9th of April, so go over to www.perform365.life or social media channels at Perform365 to check it out. Thanks again for sponsoring this episode, and let's get to it. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 114. Today we spoke with John the Gorilla Rider, professional superweight, middleweight boxer and the people's champion. John holds a professional record of 29 wins out of 34 fights, 16 by way of knockout. A southpaw from London, John is renowned for his tenacity, grit and work ethic, all traits of high performance across any field in sport and business. Ryder is a world-level operator and competitor and now has his eyes set on more big fights and the biggest names in the division after a recent win against Mike Guy in December 2020, after a 30-month layoff due to COVID-19. We learn how John prepares for big moments and how he responds to failure. We can all take something from these pointers. John explores how he has evolved over his career, paying special credit to strength and conditioning and performance training with Dan Lawrence of Matchroom Boxing. John talks about the competitive and industrious environment in his gym, where his style and determination is forged. We ask about innovation in boxing. What can other sports learn from the craft? A family man. You can hear the environment in the background on his side. John lets his gloves do the talking in the ring, but we were so grateful he shared his story with us. John Ryder, thank you very much for coming on uh, the podcast today. Really looking forward to talking about your boxing career to date. How things have been? Yeah, well, good. I mean, um, obviously, we've got a mutual friend in Dan Lawrence, and he's um, good. He's helping me along the way now with me, me SNC side of things and all the dietary requirements. So, yeah, I mean, as a sport ever evolving, especially boxing and more and more coming into it, it's. Um, it's like you got to keep up with the times or get left behind and get a lot of enjoyment from it and mix up the training, learning new things, trying new methods and, I mean, not getting stuck in too much of the old school stuff. So look, before we get into your story a little bit, curious, you're not called John the Orangutan Rider, you're, you're called John the Gorilla and we'd love to know where that name came from. This come about from uh, Robin McCracken. I was, um, I was sparring a lot of these... I think I was about 16, 17 at the time, and I was sparring a lot of these professionals like Lee Meager, Billy Cochran, Lenny Dawes. It was, they were all fighting at good levels, British title. And um, he said, just for your age, you're so strong, you're like a baby gorilla. And um, it's just stuck since then. That's cool. And so you had your last fight was November, December last year um, against Mike Guy. You've had a long time off before that and a long time since then as well. How has it been in between? How are you doing with keeping up the training? 
Well, from from the Smith fight to the the Mike Guy fight was thirteen months. Obviously, after the Smith fight, I really wanted to kick on and get back to winning ways, right the wrong, and and just really kick on and, and yeah, get back to it. But it, obviously, the pandemic come about. We was in full lockdown for the first say three months, and then June, July time, I was able to get back in the gym and. I mean, there was a few, bit of uncertainty about dates and further lockdowns and whatnot. So a few dates was getting moved. I was due to be September, then October, November. They end up being December 19th, you know, in Miami. So a bit of a flat performance. I've probably overdone it a bit in preparation with, with date changes and whatnot. But um, a, a box that needs to be ticked, I need to get in there, get some rounds under my belt and um, and just get back to winning ways, really, and just to go through a camp, go through the weight-making strategy and, and just get the team working together again. And listen, we'll we start this year again, hoping to be out soon. But as of yet, I'm still waiting. But I'm hoping within the, the coming week, we should have some news and hopefully late May, early June. And what was it like being in the bubble in the in the Hard Rock Hotel, training, you know, even up until that with the dates constantly being moved? How do you keep the mindset? How do you keep focused knowing you've got a big fight coming up? especially having been out for so long? Well, you know, we're, we're a tight-knit team. There's obviously myself, Dan, uh, Tony, and Tony son Charlie does the management side. So, I mean, it was nice. It was a good laugh. But um, the bubble was not really for me. I don't like I don't like being restricted, although these American hotels are not like the travel-ins on, in London. You know I mean, they're, they're big, spacious places. We had a, a, bit, a bit of outdoor space to, to work out in and, and train and have a little jog around. But as bubbles go, this one was pretty boring. Don't think Matchroom shelled out too much on this budget with Canelo being the night after. Good experience. <laughs> um, to be fair, we took a lot of advantage of having the outdoor area and we was we was out there most days. But a lot of the other fighters seemed to be locked away in their rooms and just yeah, real quiet. Well, the beauty of Dan Lawrence, isn't it? Getting you outside, getting you doing different things. I just want to explore it a bit. You mentioned on an interview before he loves thoracic rotations. He loves a bit of safety bar, split squats, trap bar deadlifts. Dan loves all this. You didn't do strength and condition too much before. You actually said you were a dinosaur before leading into it and you learned so much working with him. How do you think your boxing has changed since you've started working on it? Yeah, well, massively. I think I was very much a dinosaur and I just felt that weights made you slow and put too much muscle on. But obviously Dan's shown me different. And like I say, you either you keep up with the times or you get left behind. And I feel I was doing well, but I was at a stage where I was close to being left behind and I think it's brought a new dimension to my game, a lot more explosiveness, a lot more strength inside. And listen, I was I was doing well before, but this can only add to to what what we're doing moving forward. I was gonna say you were winning before as well, so yeah, winning it wasn't a lot. as if it was a bad track record. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to nearly rewind there for a minute. Prior to prior to the guy fighting the you know, there was a controversial we're not gonna go down that too much, right? But the, the Callum Smith fight and obviously People who were watching it and then you saw what happened on social media afterwards and Twitter and people asking, was it the right result or not? Never mind all that business. What happened in your head? Like, how do you reframe after that? And it could be any, any, any moment that doesn't quite go to plan. What do you do as a person that gets you back into the space when you know, all right, I'll be all right. I'm going to get back on the, back on the horse, as it were. To be fair, straight after the fight, I was looking, I was looking forward to, I had newborn son at the time, so I was looking forward to bit of family time I plan to have the rest of December off and get back into it in the new year and I was I was excited to to do that 
mid-January, I got back into training and was looking to some, towards something big, say June time. Then obviously the pandemic hit and really, really put a spanner in the works there. So it was frustrating. I mean, obviously seeing talks of like Billy Joe Saunders potentially fighting Canelo, then then obviously Cannon Smith getting the shot. It was, I'd say, frustrating and disheartening because I felt that that really should have been my shot and I should have had them nice belts around my waist. But I think I, maybe it's wrong of me, but I kind of accept boxing for what it is and I realise that it's a business now and a sport second. I think I just take the rough for the smooth of it and I probably shouldn't take it so much on the chin, but it's a sport we're involved with and love, but I just look forward to moving forward and, and just getting what's rightfully mine. Do you think your approach has changed much in terms of, you mentioned it's a business and when you come out initially, probably into your first few fights, you're, you're doing it for the love of the sport and you're probably con- trying to continue that up until now. But to get to that next level, a lot of the time you have to be that salesman. You have to be that businessman in terms of promoting your own fights or even trying to navigate a certain way to get it, to get ahead, to get to the top. Would you say you look to plan that route a bit more or are you still just boxing for the love of it like you were the people's champion before? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I've got a, a good management team in me with, with Tony and Charlie. Tony's always been very shrewd and smart with moves he's made and remember early doors I got an offer to fight Billy Joe for the, the um, Southern Area title fight. I think it was like a, a six grand purse. But Tony said, no, it's, it's too soon. You let that fight build, you give it another year, you let it mature then you, you'll fight him in a year's time for a British title. And lo and behold, a, a year, two years later, we was in the ring for a British title and a lot more than £6,000. So I think, yeah, smart moves. Uh, make make your plan, route your map. And um, yeah, especially with like the governing bodies, it's like, obviously, Canelo's kind of got the monopoly on it now, but what, what champion do you think you're best suited to? You've got best chance with? What, what's your best way to become world champion? John, for those big fights that you're involved in, you know, you've been on some big undercards. You've also been involved in some big fights yourself through the years. What's it like in the couple of minutes before you're going for the ring walk, before your music's coming on and you know it's your moment when everyone's watching you? Pre-bubble, as it were, when there were big crowds there. What's going through your head in those last three, four minutes before you know it's showtime? I'll go back to the Smith fight. It was... um I mean, like a dream come true. I mean, you're going out your main event. You got um, Sweet Caroline playing on the uh, on the PA system. You can look at the ring. Michael Buffer's doing his little jig in the middle. So I mean, that's the highest of the highs. Do you know what I mean? But I was a real nervous character coming through in, in the pros, and I think even I think I'd get more nervous of fighting the likes of like Journeyman, who you, you're expected to beat, than going in there to fight for the world title. I mean. You go and lose to a journeyman who's not won in the last three years and it's like your career is pretty much done for and people are writing you off. But you, you go and give a good account of yourself against your old champion. It's like, well, it, it'll come again. But So I've always found it a bit more nerve-wracking fighting. The likes of, say, Mike Guy that you're expected to beat and that they can pose big threats and be potential banana skins. Yeah, exactly. That was actually just going to say potential banana skin. With being on the undercard for... Canelo a few years ago for Golovkin more recently. What do you think is your next step that you need to either beat a certain person or do you need to go a certain route in order to get to be on that main card versus one of them? I think for a starter, I need to stop being support to these big names. I think I need to get myself in there and be main event, pick up a world title. And then if things work out at a schedule too, my next fight will be for a world title. And then, we can 
get the main event and then go, go from there, build on it and, and start calling out these big names. And But the way, like I say, the way Canelo's got the monopoly on it, he's, he's got two of the belts now, he's fighting Saunders for a third and I'm sure he'll fight Plant come September for the fourth. I mean, it's important to be a belt holder now. So if I can go and pick up the Dobe regular, I can really attract some big names into big fights back, back here in England. Yeah. And look, as we're talking about those fights coming up and where you see yourself competing, I suppose we're both curious as to, you've mentioned the word love already for boxing, right? Sport and business, however we want to call it. When did it really start? Like, when did you know, I want to do this for real? I want to really follow this as a career, as a professional. What was that moment in time when you were a youngster that you said, yeah, this is my thing? Well, I don't know. I mean, I had my first amateur fight at 15 and I had my heart set on being a fireman. Went to college and, and studied public services for a year. And I think the teacher really done my head in, really put me off the, being a fireman. He was <laughs> the all, teacher, fair play to <laughs> the teacher. John into boxing. Fair play, the teacher drove me mad, like, he, honestly, horrible. Um, but yeah, cut boxing was getting more and more fights in the amateurs and went into my first national championships, uh, won it, the under-10s and novices. Went into the next year, the under twenties, and won it again. And I just thought, Joe, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well here. I, I'm winning. Like I'm fighting people with double the experience I've got. Um, I'm beating them, knocking some of them out, and even my, in my training, I'm sparring great people. I'm fighting, sparring with British champions, um, title challengers. So I think it was my first trainer, really, Colin Lake. He, he kind of said to me, you, "You'll be a, a great pro." So I kind of took it with what he said, and yeah, went for it. And, and what was it like, the emotion, when you started to win early and you, you kind of nearly started to back yourself a little bit more, like, oh, I won that, won that, won that. What's that like? And then obviously that nearly progressed into professional career when you, you, know, you had long winning streaks. What, what's it like when you start winning and the confidence is filling up, especially early, early before you kind of really know who you are as a boxer, maybe? It's nice. I mean, my, my pro debut lasted um, 90 seconds. Wow. John O'Donnell in preparation, he was top of the bill that night against a, a former Olympian. And I'd been doing 12 rounders with him like weeks leading up. And so for me to go in preparing for my, my first bat, which was a four rounder, I've been sparring 12 rounds with ease with him. He, he was a good, good, solid pro as well. And then to go in there and just get the job done within 90 seconds, it was unbelievable. It just, you think it was easy. But um, then I went into my, I think it was my second fight um, against Sabi Monteith and he ended up getting disqualified because he headbutted me three times. So it was like, it was the harsh reality of, of the sport and the business. Do you know what I mean? Like no, no headguard, no real protection. You got, you feel a bit naked because you've got no vest on and you're there in just your shorts and your gloves. But yeah, I mean, it was just that a harsh reality of what fighting is. Three headbutts in 90 seconds. Yeah, it's a yeah. whirlwind of a start to boxing anyway. Don't want that. <laughs> When you're getting to that stage and you've gotten 15 fights winning streak, you're facing Saunders and you're coming in, is it hard to maintain that sort of level of humility that you're not getting your too ahead of yourself? You're coming in against the tough fight. You've waited that year instead of going for it earlier. How do you keep your feet on the ground nearly in terms of you haven't had a loss professionally yet? How do I make sure that that doesn't happen? I think it was important because we was, we was both at similar stages of our careers. He was a former Olympian. Obviously on a great, great streak himself. Um, I think he was 16-0 and 0 at the time. I was 15-0. And, and it was one of them, you know, someone had to lose. And I mean, it was a, a great fight, a great close fight. But um, 
I feel like that is just in my character. I've never been one to be flashy or old or brash. I'd just rather get in there and let my fight and do the talking. Yeah, like that left-hand fire. And away from the ring, John, like with, with all the boxing, all the training you're doing in, in the gym, what other stuff do you do maybe to unwind or step away and recover from it, as it were? Well, in, in the past, I've played a bit of golf. Um, I'm not too good at that, but I do, do enjoy it every now and again. A lot, lot of family time, really, just can get so tied up with boxing and time away on camps and away in the States for, for a fight. And then it's just nice to come back and have a bit of downtime with partner and the kids. Definitely. It's, it's, we don't even often take into account the camps and stuff and how arduous that is for people to have to go away from family to even now at the bubble to lock yourself away, to prep for a fight, to prep for that 90 seconds if it's going to be like that. Just in terms of expectations of, of yourself over the next year, Given that it's not very certain how the pandemic is going to unfold, how the fighting scene is going to unfold in the future, if you could look back maybe on this year in a few years' time, what would you say to yourself was a successful year? Would it be that you got into the ring again before December? Would it be that you maybe you took time out to really plan out the route that you're going to try and go after now? Or what does success look like for the rest of the year? Uh, I think well, I think that there's a lot of young fighters there that won't have fought for probably up to two years by the time this is all over. Um, I think I'm I'm quite thankful that I got to get out in December and have an outing and 10 rounds and lucky enough to get on a plane to Florida as well and, and back, which was nice. A lot of people didn't have that luxury. So that was good. But um, yeah, I mean, moving forward career-wise, I need to be out before before the summertime, before, before July or August. I need to keep on top of it. I really need to build on momentum that I've made over the last... 24 months, a good run of form. Um, obviously, circumstances beyond our control, the result of the Smith fight, but just kick on and, and, and get what's mine, get what I deserve and get that world title around my waist. 100%. And look, we've, we've touched on humility already there, John, but in terms of other sports, what can other sports learn from boxing? And it doesn't have to be about the training. It could be any element, but I mean, we, I've played basketball, man beside me has played Gaelic football. What can other sports learn from the competitive environment, the work ethic, all those sort of attributes that are very much part of the makeup of boxing? I think you've got to move with the times. A lot of the, you see a lot of these coaches, they've got a system and it works. It's only going to work for so long. You've got to keep up. You've got to keep evolving. There's, there's new technologies out there. It's not all about doing the way you was taught. But you've got to be a you got to be a sponge. You've got to soak it all up, even as a coach now, and be willing to adapt and try new things and overcome things that are not there no more. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, it's tough. I mean, everyone's, everyone's struggling. Everyone's learning all the time. So I think just, just moving forward, be an open book. Just be willing to try new methods and just get the best out of, out of your, yourself or, or your team. If you look to your sport specifically and the men at the top of it at the moment in terms of Canelo would be probably the best in the world at the moment. Um, as we mentioned, trying to get the four belts into one. What is it about them that keep them on the edge, keep them at the top? Is it they continually, as you say, are an open book and learn new skills? Or is it that they were gifted loads of talent and they're just hard workers? It's funny, I was having this conversation with uh, Craig Richards. He's fighting Dimitri Bivol for the world title. And um, I was saying like, fair play to you. I said, you've just won the British title. And like surely you'd want to have something at European level, at fringe world level before you step up. And he was like, he said, yeah, ideally, you go in and you beat Bivol, you're at world-class elite then. 
you're only looking at unifications or, or mandatory challenges. So it's like, it's one thing getting there, but it's, it's how you stay there. And I think you've got to take your, hats off, your hat off to the likes of Mayweather, who's done it for so long, Canelo, who's now become the, the, the new biggest name in boxing and going up through the weights, developing all the time. I mean, hats off to him. I mean, he's, he started boxing at 15. He's now um, a multi-weight world champion. Um, but it's like, yeah, what keeps him there? I mean, he's, he's got the best of everything. He's got chefs, he's got doctors, he's got, he's, he's got a team of everything that, that can really get the best out of him, I suppose. And say if we're, say I'm a five-year-old, well, I have a three-year-old, so let's do that. I have a three-year-old and say he goes into your gym tomorrow yep. and watches you work a bag, speed bag, heavy bag, whatever it is. What's he going to be seeing that could maybe identify that? Well, that's, that's John Ryder. I can tell. And it, it can be about your style and your swagger, or could it, be, it could be about your nature in terms of you going through your, your circuit, as it were. But what, what makes you you when you're training and you're kind of getting ready for something? Well, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I don't want to say I'm the hardest worker in a gym because uh, I think everyone claims to be that, don't they? So um, probably have a, <laughs> have a few claims otherwise. But um, I think in my gym, we're lucky. We're, um, we've all got a, a great work ethic. We'll, we'll push each other on. We, we want the best for each other. and We will we'll, we'll call each other whatever names in between. But ultimately, we want, we want each other to win. We want to egg each other on and a bit of competitive edge in there as well I mean we, we was on the track this morning doing 800s uh, some was doing 200s some was doing 4s but we're all trying to get each other on to speak like Connor Ben's fighting next week um, he was running with a young kid Jimmy Sainz and it was their last sprint yeah, yeah. but we was always getting Jimmy on to beat Connor and this Connor had beat him all, all sprints so far at 12 and it was just they said Jimmy on to get this last one just to just to bring Connor on as well just to lift just lift moods Elevating the whole team, yeah. If we were to, to grant you your dream fight in your dream venue, where would it be and who would it be against? And you can say what the outcome was as well. <laughs> um, I think man at the moment is Canelo. and Anywhere. Um, an outdoor stadium would be nice. The only outdoor stadium I've done is the whole rugby stadium and that weren't too glamorous. I think it was... It was in July and it was a bit of, a bit of mist from the sea, so it was pretty cold. But um, yeah, I don't know. The, the Cowboy Stadium would be nice. Um, <laughs> the, the the Raider Stadium in Vegas would be good. But, um, yeah, Can- Canelo anywhere in the world, wherever he wants it. Curious now as to say if we were rolling forward, right? Um, we've we've talked about kind of where you started. We've talked a little bit about kind of what's on the immediate horizon next year or two. Say we're rolling forward 10, 15 years from now, and you had an opportunity to look back on a career that you're really proud of. Yeah, kind of. What does that look like for you? I think, well, like basically, the career I've had. I mean, I've, I've took my took my beatings, um, took it on the chin, moved forward. I think with dignity and, and pride, keep my head held high, and I, I hope that we can look back at this career in fifteen years' time and consider it a success with a world title at the end of it to, to top it off and a good few defenses, nice bit of money in the bank, nice home, and. Moving and moving forward, passing my knowledge on to new young up and coming fighters. If you were to give advice to a young fighter coming into the game now, from all that you've learned so far, what key areas would you say to focus on, or what big ideas or habits would you give to them? Say this will help you because if I knew this when I started off, I would have been maybe a better fighter. 
I think just um, just let your boxing do the talking. You, there, there is no promotion like self-promotion, but don't make it too easy for promoters. Let them promote the shows. You work hard in the gym. You, you put the, the graft in. Make sure you're putting the work in in the kitchen at home, getting that, that, that nutrition right, uh, getting the sleep, the correct sleep at night, the correct rest, and train hard. Keep training hard, but make sure you're doing all the others to go with it. And in terms of, say, the next... In sports medicine, kind of physio, sports science, we always talk SNC, we always talk about innovation, right? What's the next big thing that's going to give you the edge? Curious as we've obviously you've talked on the fundamentals, those big rocks that are going to help a, a young boxer really be successful. But in your opinion, obviously, with the man who's looking after performance for Matchroom, he's, he's an innovative guy. He's given you a lot of insight in terms of the SNC space. But from your perspective as a boxer as well, where do you see the next the next big thing, as it were, in terms of boxing that could maybe help give some give boxers a better chance to do good things in a ring? I, feel, I think before long, boxing gyms are going to be more like laboratories, more technical equipment and more precision into testing. And Dan was lucky enough to go to the UFC Institute when we was in Vegas a couple of years ago and um, just see the facility there and what they've got. Yeah, with Duncan French, yeah, it's an amazing facility. I, I had an opportunity to go there two years ago over when I was there for Summer League. It's amazing just the amount of kit even the little nutrition stand where you can have your tart cherry shots and all that sort of thing, it just kind of blows your mind. Nearly. Well, yeah, we, we, were, we was there and I think um, Forrest Whitaker was in the background cleaning his shaker out and um, it was a, yeah, quite a surreal, surreal moment. But I mean, yeah, like things like the false plates that, I don't know, Dan was preaching about these false plates and how much they cost, but what data can be got from that and what, what you can gain in, uh, yeah, readiness to train and whatnot and... Uh, got me to buy a, a whoop band just for the um, the heart rate variables and, and stuff like this. But it's more it, there's a lot more science into it now rather than there's no not so much guesswork. We're all um, making sure we're we're primed and ready to to train rather than if we feel lethargic that just just push through, grip down, bite bite down your gum shield and tough it out. But now it's knowing when to take the break and um, really step on it again. Yeah, definitely. And it's my last question on here for you. Is uh... Related to all that planning, the famous Mike Tyson quote of everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. When you're in the ring and you do experience that, like if Mike Guy had to cut you well or something, or maybe if during your sparring someone catches you and your plan or your tactics just sort of go out the window, how do you reframe reset in that moment? Is it like, oh shit, or what? how does that moment feel to you? Do you have a, a mantra you say to yourself or what gets you back in the ring, back onto your tactics? I think as, as a youthful person, it's that they they hit you with one you you think you've got to hit them back with two and, and get involved and just go to war but i think <laughs> now it's more right that's on me that one I, I shouldn't have let you have that you're not going to get it again you was lucky you was fortunate with that going to regroup high guard high shoulder going to roll that bit more going to slip out of the way throw it again watch me slip i'm going to count you i'm going to take your head off so just yeah just um relax there's time do you talk to the other boxer in the ring? Is it your style to nah, I mean, to mention things back and forth? Or? Nah, it's hard enough to re- regulate your breathing, let alone trying to talk to him as well. <laughs> <laughs> John, look, it's, uh, we're obviously rooting for you going forward, right? You've always come across really well, and we've got a really nice story as to kind of what, what's made you you. question we always ask everyone that comes on the show is, is quite simply, it really wraps up nicely as well after the story is, what does high performance mean to you, John Ryder? 
we all see, we all aspire to be like LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo, but they they totally embody, buy into elite performance. They live it, they breathe it, they suck it up and spit it out. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a mindset, I think. It's not just training hard and eating right. It's it's your mannerisms, it's your it's the way you carry yourself, it's the way you sleep, it's the way you talk to people. I think there's there's a lot more to it. There's I think even down to the way you dress. I was saying to Dan, I said, I think I need to start dressing better. I think I need to start getting my car cleaned more. He said, What why is that? I said, It's elite, isn't it? It's elite behaviour. You don't think you don't think LeBron James turns up to a Lakers game when he's got a dirty car, do you? And he's or he's wearing like a training t shirt. He's dressed sharp, the car's clean, his haircut's fresh, his the beard's shaped up lovely. I think it's um there's a lot more to it than just this just training hard and eating right. No luck either. It's all it's all hard work. Jean, look, we've we've really enjoyed that just dipping, just getting a little bit of a sense as to kind of what makes you you. Both rooting for you. Stay fit, stay healthy. All the best with the family there. Yeah, you seem to be one that's really trying to strike that balance, as it were. And look, we know that's so important. So best luck with all the upcoming fights and thanks a lot for your time today. Really enjoyed no, it, really appreciate that's it. That's brilliant. Sorry for the delays. Thank you for having me. I'm a fan of the podcast, so it's great to be on. All good, John. Appreciate it, man. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.